Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, the community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Um, I want to begin this morning by ask you, asking you to think about your calendar. So, there are a few paper calendar keepers still alive today. I know many of us, most of us, are digital. Think about your calendar. If you gave someone your calendar to study, what would they discover about you? What would they learn about your life and what you value? Here's another question. Think about your calendar as having rocks and water. Rocks are the thing in your calendar that do not move. They're non-negotiable. They're always there, and things bend around them. What are the rocks in your calendar? What's the water? What's negotiable? It's there, but it it flows. It's easily changed. I love the Winston Churchill quote, we shape buildings and thereafter they shape us. You ever heard that? It's an amazing quote. It can also be said, we shape our calendars and our calendars shape us. It is true to say you are both in control of your calendar and your calendar is in control of you. Amen? Calendars are a big deal. It flows out of your heart, but then it molds you into its image. And that's what we're talking about today, calendars. When we look at the book of Acts, which is what we've been studying, if you're visiting this morning for like, gosh, two or three months, we've been plowing our way through the book of Acts. When you look at the first church, you see a group of people whose calendars reflect Jesus. So you know in an iPhone, you have like the yearly mode and then the month and then the day and then the week. If you clicked every single one of those in the Acts Church's calendar, you would find Jesus there. They had these yearly, weekly, daily rhythms. And you see this deep connection to him in rhythms of prayer and worship. This was expressed in how they kept as a community the great feasts of the church and the hours of the church. This is the title of this sermon. And if you're like, what the heck is that? I will explain it eventually. So here's what we're going to do this morning. First, we're going to dive into this this book in Acts. I want us to see how the first church's calendar reflected Jesus, how they had these deep commitments of daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, and yearly rhythms of prayer and worship. And then I want us to back up and think about our life personally and communally as a church. And it's a bit unique because sometimes in the Bible we see something really, really deep and spiritual, and our task is to have to figure out how to make it practical. Um, Like, what in the world does this mean for my life? But this is a little bit different. I think the adventure this morning, which truly has been an adventure for me this week, is to see how something as practical as your calendar is a deep, deep spiritual battleground. Your calendar is deep deeply, biblically informed to the root of creation. So we're making something practical, substantial. Sound good? Okay, what in the world are the feasts and the hours? The church keeps the feasts and the hours. Let's start with some context. To begin with the feast, the Jewish calendar, which was given by God in the Old Testament to his people, was organized around several major feasts that happened once a year. So these were like big parties with all of your friends, tons of really good food, but they were also deeply substantial and rooted in the life of God. So you have to imagine the tastiness of the farmer's market, 
and all the bustle about buying food. The dynamism of Badger's foot, football opening up yesterday, if you were anywhere near the Isthmus. And then the substance of Easter morning at church. If all those had a baby, it would feel like close to what a Jewish feast was. Amazing, amazing things. The big three were Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. And they commemorated things in salvation history that God actually did, like the Exodus or the giving of the law or really amazing stuff. And as you kept the feast, you were connected to people. You bonded with the community, but also you bonded to God. Your spiritual, cultural memory was deepened. You were included in the life of God. So American life, and I've talked about this before, we are rooted around the Hallmark holiday calendar. July 4th, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's Day, Easter, and so on. Um, I'm not going to go on a rant about that, but that's kind of what dictates our year. The Jewish life is still rooted to the history of God, and they looked forward to it even more than pumpkin spice lattes, uh, which is keeping us from understanding the seasons because, as I understand, they keep on moving it up and up and up. And one day they will just have it all the time. You know it's coming. That was their yearly rhythms. Once a year, those came around. They also had weekly rhythms, which were the Sabbath. Every week, a little mini feast. Some of you are Jewish, but if you're not Jewish, I encourage you once in your life to go to a Shabbat dinner with a Jewish family. Uh, It is profound. My wife and I were invited. We have some friends who are Jewish and who are followers of Yeshua, the Messiah. And we went to their house, and it was overwhelming. So we sit down, the mother and the daughters light these special candles, they sing songs. Then the father gets up and walks over to his wife, places his hand on her shoulders and reads Proverbs 31 over her and then blesses each of their children. And then the dad gets up, sorry, then the mom gets up, places her hands on the father and reads Psalm 1 over him and then blesses each of their children. And Marissa and I are like, like, what's happening? This is the greatest dinner ever. And then he looks to me and he's like, now your turn. And I'm like, what? So I get up and walk over to Marissa, and I'm like shaking and crying, you know, like, what's happening? James, my son, was like two, and I got to bless him, and he was like, what is going on? This is the weirdest dinner ever. (laughs) But it was overwhelming. When we left, I loved God more. I loved time more. I loved my wife and my kids more. And I was thinking, you do this every single week? Yes, they do. But it's God's idea. It was not their idea. It's a mini feast every single week of things in Acts. Open your bulletin to Acts, to all these hodgepodge of things in Acts. Thank you for our readers for reading tons of crazy texts all jumbled together. Acts 2, verse 1. You guys there? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Remember, the drama of the entire history of the church begins with Pentecost. Remember? This is the day of all days that God pours out his spirit on all flesh. And when does it happen? A feast day. It's Pentecost. God chose Pentecost to be the day. It was not a random time. It was a feast which God had told people to practice and gather for long before that he chose to act in that special way. It was the day they all took off work and they got together. Look at Acts 16, 13. This is on the right side of the page. 
This is the beginning of that amazing story. If you were here a couple weeks ago about Paul and Silas when they start the church in Philippi and it's unexpected and it's all over the place and beautiful. This is how it starts. Verse 13, you guys there? And on the Sabbath day, they went outside to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. This is Lydia is in this group. Remember, wonderful, precious Lydia. It's on the Sabbath day that everything kicks off. And this is just one example about how the Sabbath was a rock, a divine, beautiful rock in their calendar. And it was intertwined with the mission of the church. So the church kept yearly and weekly rhythms of prayer and worship. Think about those as like big, just rotating, beautiful rituals in their life. These were rocks, no question about it. But it goes even deeper because they also had daily rhythms of connecting to God. And these were the hours of prayer. If you've read the Bible before, you might have seen these and been like, what in the world is going on with these? But this is the third hour is one of them, and it's about 9 a.m., then there's the sixth hour, which is, which is noon, and then the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. And in other words, they practice morning, midday, and evening prayer. For some context here, these rhythms go back to the Old Testament when God gave his people morning and evening times to sacrifice. So they would actually have a sacrifice and they would worship. From the beginning, God created his people to start and end their day in worship and connection to God. But after the temple was destroyed or they got scattered, the Jewish people, there was nowhere to go and sacrifice. The Jewish people still kept observing the times, but it was through prayer. Um, we saw this in our Daniel reading, which Elijah killed. Um, what does Daniel get in trouble for? It says it twice, kneeling three times a day and praying. And he was, just so you know, this isn't like a fluke, just something he did. He was so intentional about it. Everybody knew it, which is how they set up the, the trick to catch him. And when he found out he could possibly get eaten by a lion, he was like, no, I'm not going to change that. It was such a non-negotiable. The dude was thrown into the lion's den because he was like, it's on my calendar. I'm going to pray. Turn back to Acts. Acts 2, verse 42. This is second on the left side. You guys see it? We there? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the very, the beautiful genesis of the church, right? And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The church was devoted to all these things, and they were devoted to the prayers, not just prayer. There's a definite article there, the prayers. And most scholars will tell you this is significant, and it means the hours of prayer. The first church was devoted to daily rhythms of connecting to God. Just to show that this isn't crazy talk, let's just walk back through a couple stories that we've studied so far in Acts. Look at Acts 3, verse 1. You guys there? Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This is the story Jesse preached on a while back about the lame man that was healed. And it all kicks off when they're keeping the hours. Look at Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, which was known to the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. That probably means he was keeping the hours of prayer. And we see that because about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Now remember, Acts 10 
if you were with us. And if you're not, Acts 10 is a huge deal in the history of the world. It is the Gentile Pentecost. It's the day that the ethnic divide of God's people was overcome by the Holy Spirit and everything was brought together. And when does it happen? The ninth hour. But here's what's even cooler is he's only one side of that coin in that amazing moment. Who's the other character in the Cornelius story? Peter. Look at Acts 10, verse 9. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. You guys there? This is Peter's story. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's when he got his vision. He's in a different city than Cornelius, but he's keeping the hours, and God is working through them. There are so, so many more examples I could give you from the book of Acts, but here's the big thing I want you to see about the feasts and the hours here, about these yearly, weekly, and daily rhythms. Church is devoted. God uses them, and the church is devoted to them. God created these. He uses them. The church is devoted to them. So first of all, God created them. These great feasts were instituted by God. The Sabbath goes back to creation, right? The hours, I hope you can see, are a deeply biblical concept. They were his idea. So God created you and I to be calendar-oriented, rhythmic people. It's in your blood. Steve Jobs just gave you a calendar on an iPhone to keep in your pocket, but long before that came around, we were oriented to the calendar. Isn't it amazing, too, that God is involved in that? He shapes it. Second, God uses them. He didn't just create it. He uses them. And I hope you can see from all our Acts readings, these weren't just boring liturgies. It's not like they had to do all this random religious stuff and the really cool spiritual stuff happened outside of it. No, no, no. The revivals and the revolutions happened inside the feasts and the hours. God created these rhythms. He gave them to his people to be an instrument of transformation, of memory, of healing, of revelation. They actually shape his people. To give you an example of this, uh, one time when I was in college, a friend of mine had a crisis in his family, and I did something crazy with him. We committed to meeting three times a week to just pray for his family. And at the beginning, it was good. It was a bit awkward. We just kind of trudged through it. It wasn't, you know, groundbreaking or anything, whatever. But then something happened after a couple months. As we just continually gathered and prayed and opened ourselves before God and one another, there was this deep tectonic shift that started to happen. Stuff that he and I had never told anyone else, we started confessing to one another. We started being actually honest about what God was doing in our life and we felt God come in to our midst and change us. It was one of the most dynamic spiritual times I have ever experienced in my life. And it started out as a commitment to meeting for prayer. And it turned into transformation. Some of you probably can have similar stories. That's exactly what's happening in Acts. I hope you guys see that. They're all gathered at Pentecost. Cornelius is just going up to pray at the ninth hour. Peter, remember he's hungry in the Cornelius thing. He'd rather eat lunch, but he's like, whatever, I'm just gonna do this anyway. He prays at the sixth hour, and boom, God shows up. The fireworks start going off. If you're still not convinced, 
This is a deep, deep Bible thing that God uses, and nothing proves the point better than Jesus and his passion. Let's think about the relationship between the cross and the calendar. This is something we don't often think about. Jesus' crucifixion didn't happen during a random part of the year. At what part of the year was Jesus crucified? The Passover, the Feast of Feasts. What day was he crucified? It was the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, meaning that the first day he was laid in the tomb was the rest day. It was the Sabbath day. So it was the significant part of the year, and it was the significant part of the week that Jesus chose to lay his life down. But now turn to your Mark reading. Let's think about sacrifices and hours. You guys there? What page is it? It's page nine. This is from Mark. These are selections. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Moving on. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima samabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it was at the ninth hour that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. At the ninth hour, the curtain was torn in two. Remember, the hours originate as times of sacrifice and of prayer, usually with the Psalms. What is Mark doing here? Why the emphasis in Jesus' passion on the hours? I think Mark is showing us that even on the cross, Jesus is keeping the hours. He's praying the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Psalm 22. And he's offering the morning at the third hour and at the ninth hour, evening sacrifice, except it's not a lamb, it's himself. God created times and seasons, and he uses them even to the point that they frame the resurrection and the cross of Jesus. Don't you love how Jesus is Lord over time? Amen? There shouldn't be a shadow of a doubt in your mind that Jesus was not in control entirely throughout his entire crucifixion. Time itself honors and glorifies Jesus. It bends to him. He is Lord of it and he created it. I love crown him with many crowns. Some of you know the old hymn. Crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time. You probably haven't used the word potentate recently, but it means monarch or ruler. You should see somebody with a huge scepter. And don't you want to worship Jesus for that? The ruler of time. Therefore, hallelujah. Therefore, therefore, the church is devoted to the feasts and the hours. Amen? Therefore, you can't say it was an Old Testament thing. It's all over the New Testament. You can't say it was a New Testament thing. And just that, because guess what you find when you look at the history of the church? A deeply substantial, rooted Christian calendar. On a yearly basis, the early church saw the ways that Jesus had transformed the Jewish calendar, and they began to celebrate in connection with, downriver from, 
the great Christian feasts. So this is Christmas, Epiphany, Easter, Pentecost, Ascension, Trinity, All Saints. Some of you have just walked through this with us. And even though it was a little church plant and a gem, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? They've always done that. They were the rocks of the year. These are the pillars of the seasons. Weekly, flowing from the observation of the Sabbath, came the practice of celebrating the Eucharist on the Lord's Day, on the Resurrection Day. This right here that we are celebrating is a mini Easter. Every single week, it's a sign and a sacrament of the resurrection. That's why we say, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Mm. Daily, the three Jewish hours of prayer were transformed into the prayer hours of the church. And from the beginning, churches and monasteries all over the world since Jesus have had hours of gathering to pray. Um, you can see these as like, you hear them as like the book of hours sometimes. We call them the daily office, are these times in morning and evening and different times of the day when we gather to pray. That word office comes from the Latin officium, which means duty. So the church always saw that they were filling this duty, like Daniel, like Peter, like Jesus, of praying incessantly, praying the hours of the day. Now, in the Middle Ages, it got a little bit out of hand because it was all in Latin, and it was like eight times a day, which meant unless you were a monk and you were a hardcore monk, you couldn't really access it. But one of the great gifts of our tradition, the Anglican tradition, is that in the Reformation, we put these in English and simplified it once again to morning and evening prayer. And the people who were the kind of the founders of the Book of Common Prayer and the writers of it dreamed to see all people, coal miners and kings and queens, start and in their day, connecting to Jesus. So this is not just an old, archaic thing. It's not just a church plant American thing. It's not just a Christ Church Madison thing. The rock of the Christian's calendar has always been the church, and the center of the church's life has always been Jesus, and that connection is sustained through time, through rhythms, divine rhythms of connecting to Jesus. And that brings us all the way to today, to us. Part of our dream as a community, and if you're here, I hope you have felt this, that we're working towards it. If you're visiting today, you need to know our dream is to be a community coming home to Jesus and his church. But we want to see, once again, the people of God keeping the feasts and the hours. We want to make it possible for people to once again flourish in yearly, weekly, and daily sacramental rhythms of being close to Jesus. We long to bring back this joyful heart devotion to the prayers, to the breaking of bread, to be the people of God, to shape our calendars around Jesus, and to think about the Churchill quote, to therefore be shaped by it into his likeness. Now we struggle with this. Um, today our calendars can feel beyond our control, right? I too live in this world. Uh, it can feel insane, it can feel like our culture has a grip on our calendar and that you can't free it from it. It's like, well I couldn't do that, I'm, I'm on lockdown. I'm a slave to my calendar and my week. I read a quote from a theologian this week that likens the modern world to an incessant pounding which he says is made up of pressures, demands, and expectations that combine to deliver the message that we must belong to it. Not simply in the sense that we must live in it, but that we must live by it. Ugh. 
Let me give you two examples of when I felt cultural calendar church tension. Um, I used to live in England, and I lived at this church. There was a wonderful pastor there, and before Christmas, he was talking about this kind of thing we're talking about today, about how Christmas is the feast of the incarnation. And he was quoting Jesus when Jesus clearly says multiple times, your church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ are more your family than anybody else. And so he suggested to the congregation to think about not leaving and skipping the feast, but staying and celebrating it with the family. And when he said that, the air entirely left the room. The knives came out. I heard pastors talk about way more sensitive stuff than that. Sexuality, money, all the things that you think are crazy. And I never felt, this just got tensed more than when he said that. You could hear, you couldn't hear, you could feel, easy buddy, back off my, my Christmas calendar. Personally, I was shocked because he actually went there. I was like, oh my gosh, this dude actually said it. But you know what? It's not even close to the kind of challenge that the church in Acts and Jesus would give us. That was fascinating. Another one is a time I worked at a youth group in a large city, in a part of this large city that was extremely affluent and very intellectual and, and, uh, and playing in professional sports. And the kids coming out of these high schools were literally like going to Ivy League schools and playing in professional sports. Uh, just as a aside, if you're a sports fan, both Clayton Kershaw and Matt Stafford came from this high school that I was working at. And so it was like super intense. And from the get-go, these kids' calendars were insane. Uh, tutors, people helping them do extracurricular activities so they could get into the good schools later on. From the get-go, their life was absolutely nuts. One time, though, this was like after a summer camp. It was a forum with all the parents when they were all there. And this one mom got up. She wasn't a staff person. She was a normal mom from a normal family in that community. And she got up and pleaded while crying for the people to stop feeding their children to the athletic and academic machine at the expense of their soul and their connection to Jesus. And the same thing happened. There weren't head nods. It got super tense. People were like, you back off my calendar. Don't touch it. I think it's fair to say, this is a good meditation this week, that your calendar is an instrument of worship. You worship through your calendar. And that if they don't reflect Jesus, the true God, it will reflect a different God, a false God, which we call an idol. From those two stories, I think you can see how nuclear family, athletic success, academic success, those are all good things, but they're vicious idols. They're bad gods to worship with your calendar. Our calendars matter. They shape us. They form you. And therefore, your calendar is a spiritual battleground. Isn't it interesting how easy it is, it's so easy, to watch an hour or two of Netflix? Effortless. They even make it easy for you, right? Now you just click the Netflix button and immediately the thing starts playing. Isn't it interesting how hard it is to pray for 15 minutes with a friend or a spouse? I think most people my age, most Christians, if you asked, give me the full plot line of Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, they just go right into it, can do it. But if I said, what is 2 Corinthians about? I think they would be hard-pressed. Jesus said, the gate is wide and the way is easy. 
easy. That leads to destruction. Those who end up by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. I don't bring this up to shame any of us. Please hear me. I am not better at this than you. My wife and I have thought about this this week and been deeply convicted. So I'm with you on this. This is challenging us, but this is a serious identity issue. And I hope you can see that. We're the church, Jew and Gentile. We are the people of God who have been grafted into that that we were studying earlier in Acts and in the Old Testament. And we are called to reflect Jesus and the life of God who created us to be calendar people just like they were. It was not just for them, it's for us. So this is a great challenge, but I don't want you to hear condemnation. I also don't want you to hear a pastor trying to get you to become more involved in his church. Let me just say that because there's no way for me to get around that. But I don't want you to hear that. What I want you to hear, regardless of whether you go to our church or you're visiting or are going to go to another church, I want you to hear an invitation. The invitation is Jesus calling you to be closer to him, to know him more deeply, to be more profoundly transformed and chiseled into his image by investing in him with time, with time in community, to have your calendar reflect him and thereafter be conformed into his image. Now, we're all at different places on this, and the application is not to become a monk, okay? So the next thing that happens is like, so we're going to have eight hours of prayer, and I expect you all to quit your jobs and get some black robes and brown robes, and we're going to do this thing. Bad haircut, Martin Luther haircut, we're, we're good. Um, but here's some practical steps that we are going to take, because we don't just want to talk about this. We want to do it. Doesn't that sound exciting? Don't you want your calendar to reflect Jesus? Don't you want to be made into his image? Ah. Oh. Yearly, we follow the Christian calendar. We did it once. We're going to do it again. It's going to start end actually with All Saints, which is our birthday. And then in Advent, we kick off again. And the calendar is just Jesus. The whole year is his life. And we get to live it every single year. We want to be a church that loves to party. We have small resources. We have a gym. We're getting there. But I want our feast to be audacious because Jesus is. I want our children to grow up, as the psalm says, knowing the festal shout. I want my kids to think about church and think about the feast of God. Weekly, I want you to think about Holy Eucharist. I want you to encourage you to think about this as the gem and the diamond and the fountainhead of your week. This is where sacramentally you are connected to the living God. You hear his word, you come to his table. Your week flows into this, and it flows out of it. That is not my idea. It's not Christ Church's thing. It's not an Anglican thing. It's a Jesus thing. What a gift that we get to do that each week and say, therefore, let us keep the feast. And then finally, we want to lean into this practice of having daily rhythms of prayer. And this is going to look different for everybody. Um, it's going to look different in all of our lives. But I want to encourage you to think about rocks you can put in your day that connect you and keep you close to Jesus. One of the great things about the church and being a great, it's not like that stream, is that we don't have to make this up. The church has actually done this for a long time. It's not like that stream that was running through the Old Testament and then Jesus and Acts just fizzled out in the early church and was like, well, that's a bummer. Nobody ever did that again. No, people have been doing this all throughout the history of the church. One of the things we're going to be doing, I'll talk about this in our announcements, is we're uh, relaunching our small group ministry 
which is going to combine evening prayer, which is a part of this daily office that we have in our tradition that people have done for a long time. Another thing we're doing, the church has always had a way of helping people try to have scripture and prayer in their life daily. And the big old historic word for that is the daily office lectionary, which is just a Bible reading plan. And we're going to be giving a resource to everybody that is about daily scripture reading and prayer. It's really easy to do. And it connects us because it's the same scriptures that all of our church is reading around the world. Isn't that amazing? This is right in line with our vision to be a community coming home to Jesus and to his church. We want people to be able once again to have their calendars reflect Jesus and therefore to know him and be transformed into his image. To have the privilege and the opportunity once again to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.